It's so good to be uh, uh, here um, uh, in the first service. It's on a Saturday at 5 o'clock, and it's so good to see all of you. Um, man, I've got a long week, but I tell you, no matter how long my week was, um, I'm excited to, to, to start preaching the Word of God. I'm excited to open the Word of God and to, and to see what God has in store for us. But before I talk about the Word of God, just a little, just a little commercial break, all right? Just a small little commercial break. I just, I just thought we've got something different today because outside we've got a booth and we want to invite all YAs and all campus students and maybe even the youth to come for our one camp in, in April. You got a slide? There we go. Um, yes, that's the young adults here. I love you guys so much. Thanks for uh, cheering on the camp. Um, come, if you are a young adult in this place and you don't have a, a place to belong, come up to the front. All right, but not towards me, but talk to them. All right, talk to these beautiful people here. If you're a youth in this place, talk to the youth on my right. If you're a campus and the young adults, talk to everybody here in the middle. Um, they would love to connect with you. So don't, you're not alone in this church. Uh, you don't have to, um, in, the, in the great eyes of a football club, you will never have to walk alone. Is that okay? <laughs> Sacrilegious to, to certain people. Um, but uh, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but we don't want you to be alone in this church, all right? So if you're a young adult, come. And you're a campus student, come. If you're a youth, that's okay. Just come as well. We want to have a camp together because we want to be together in one space to just worship and encounter God. So come and sign up at our booth later on outside. We've got people uh, willing to take your details and everything. This is the final week of the super early bird, okay? So after, after this is the last week, after this week is over, um, your chance is over, all right? There's no 12, 12, 11, 11, 10, 10 flash sale. Uh, for this camp. It's only found on Shopee, all right? Not here in SIVKL, but who knows? We never know. All right, amen? amen. You know, um, it's been a wonderful, it's been a really wonderful uh, first two months of the year. I cannot believe uh, I, we're, this is the last week of February, man. Uh, we're almost finishing the first quarter of the year, and in the beginning of the year, we did a roof series, and oh, that was such, it was, it was brilliant, it was so good, it was so deep, we ended with a worship encounter last week, um, that was good. You know, um, I really hope that your hunger for God and for, for the things of God is stirred up from last week, right? And you will never stop yearning for the things of God. But then now, this week, we're starting on a new series. We're starting on something brand new. We're starting on something that is very exciting. It's an in-your-face kind of gospel series. Um, and in this series, I like to think of it as, as uh, 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 do you know that, uh, <laughs> I'm debating whether to tell you a joke. I just can't make up my mind. But I tell you what, I'll do it, I'll do it either ways. <laughs> um, do you know, in this series, um, we're, 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 we're sponsored by Disney. I'll tell you why. So we're sponsored by Disney Company. Because Disney, they're going to launch um, a new Star Wars film, film this, uh, this year, all right? So it's, uh, the new Star Wars film is called Luke Skywalker Has a Brother, Luke Overview, all right? So uh, it's, it's the new launch of the Overview uh, uh, hierarchy in the Star Wars, uh, Star Wars series trilogy. I'm so sorry if it's lame, but I thought it was very funny. Um, so you can laugh with me. If you laugh at me, that's also okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. But we're starting a whole Luke series. It's the Luke overview today. But we're entering a series of the book of Luke, and it's very exciting. Luke is such an exciting gospel. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm biased. I'm a pastor. I have to say that. But it's true. When you study the book of Luke, when I actually read it a few times over, um, I go, wow, I've seen things I've never seen before in the book of Luke. I can't believe it. You know how many times I've read the book of Luke? And then just this year, I open it up and I go, 
So in my 39 years of life, I've never read this scripture until this year. You know, God just opens your mind to different things, right? Um, so we're in, a, in, in the overview of Luke, and I, I titled my sermon today, Let's Look at Luke. Let's look at the book of Luke, all right? So now let's all look at the book of Luke, and I, and I have two parts of my sermon. I want to talk about this gospel of Luke, and then I want to go into uh, uh, what is it all about, you need to understand who Luke is. You need to understand why he wrote it. You need to understand the, 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 the context of why he wrote it. Then you can understand and appreciate the, the, the whole, uh, the meat of, of the book of Luke. Is that okay? Um, so, uh, who is Luke? That's a good question, right? Who is Luke? Is he a Palpatine? Is he a Skywalker? We don't know, all right? But who is... <laughs> I've got to stop it with this. I'm a Star Wars fan, just in case you didn't know. Uh, who is Luke? We've got, I, you know, there's so many things. I, you know, sometimes I, I ask God, God, can I preach for two hours? Because there's so many things I want to say. There's really so many things I want to say. I had, I had such a hard time condensing it to five points. But I thought this is the most interesting five points, and the rest is just very academic, very theological. Um, who's Luke? He's a doctor. He's a physician, um, he's a doctor, um, and he's a close friend of Paul. So the reference is Colossians uh, 4, verse 14. So if you take a look at it at home, um, you would know that Paul, uh, Luke is a close friend of Paul because Paul calls him my dearest friend Luke or my beloved physician Luke or Luke, uh, my beloved Luke the physician. All right, so we know in that one sentence, he's a good friend of Paul's and he's a doctor. All right, uh, that's why, I don't know if I have my next slide, but that's why if you read the book of Luke in the Greek, in the English, it doesn't come out as beautiful, but if you read it in the Greek, the original Greek, um, it really describes all the healing in extra detail compared to Mark, compared to Matthew, even compared to John, because he's a doctor. So only in Luke, you would find that the girl broke her arm in two places. You don't find that. In Matthew, the girl broke her arm, full stop. But here you go, there's a lot more detail. If you go to the girl with the blood, there's a little bit more detail about, about healings because he's a physician, he's a doctor. He knows what he's talking about when he says you are sick and he describes your sickness. That's a doctor. But interestingly, he's a Gentile, which means he's one of us, man, right? He's not a Jew, right? So Matthew's a Jew, John's a Jew. Theologians have argued for a thousand years whether Mark is, is he a Jew, is he a Gentile? So that's a big question, Mark. I think he's a Gentile. That's in my opinion. But we know for sure that Luke is a Gentile because in Colossians, again, chapter 4, 11, Luke says, I am amongst my brethren of Jews, my Jewish brethren. I'm amongst their circumcised, which means, which means to say that he identifies as a Gentile, but he's good friends with Jews. So he's a Jew. He's also imprisoned with Paul, very interestingly, which means we never, we never think of Luke as a guy who has been in prison because, well, he's a doctor, he's got good standing in society, but he's, he's in prison with Paul because he was together with Paul on Paul's second and third missionary journey. So when Paul wrote the book of Timothy, he referenced and said, I'm, I'm, I only have one friend here. He's Luke. Everybody else has abandoned me, all right, except my good friend Luke. You know, when I read, when I read, when I read this a lot, I was like, man, I wish I could say, I mean, I only have a good friend in my life. Only, only he's with me. Nobody else. Everybody has abandoned me. And then God says, you do have somebody. You're right. You married her. I was like, oh, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. All right. So, I'm, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. That's good. It's a good reminder, Jesus, that I'm married. Uh, yes. You know, I've, I've, everybody abandons me. My wife was always there with me, right? Right. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But it, it's true. She looks after the children way better than I do. That's just the truth. Um, one last thing, Paul, I'm sorry, Luke is very educated and very detailed. I take so much comfort because, I, you know, I, I sometimes I'm a very, very big picture guy, 
And then sometimes I get, to, I, I get lost in the details. So I'm a very extreme kind of personality. And then when I go, Luke is very detailed. I go, oh, I take comfort because, oh, he's detailed. How do I know he's detailed? Because if you read the Greek, it's beautiful again in the Greek. So I'm not a Greek scholar, but theologians say that if you read his beautiful Greek, it's only the most educated, like the top 5% of society can write like that. So you know he's a philosopher, you know he's a scholar, you know he's very detailed, and he lists down everything. He does so much research, and he says, these are the things that you need to know. So that's who is Luke. But you need to know the uniqueness of the Gospel of Luke as well. Why is Luke different from Matthew and Mark? Why don't we just have one Gospel? That's it. Why do we have to have Matthew? Why do we have to have Mark and John? And then now Luke. Because Luke stands out a little different from the rest. Luke writes to the Greeks. So Matthew writes to the Jews. Mark writes to the Romans. John writes to anybody who wants to read, all right? And Luke writes specifically to the Greeks. He's not, anybody can read, anybody can borrow his book, of course, and check it out from the library. But specifically, he writes to the Greeks. And in that time, Greeks have a certain, a, a, a certain mindset to them, that Greeks treasures and uplifts the ideal man says that we want to be the ideal man. That's why a lot of the Greek statues have perfect, uh, perfect carvings of the ideal man, right? And, and all the writings in Greek philosophy is about how you can achieve uh, to be the perfect man, to be the perfect ideal man. And that's why Luke says, I introduce to you the perfect man, the perfect ideal man. That's why in the book of Luke, you will find very often, and he says, Jesus is the son of man. So in the book of John, he says, Jesus is the son of God. In Matthew, Jesus is the king of the Jews. In the book of Mark, Jesus is the suffering servant. But only in the book of Luke, you will find that Jesus is the son of man. See, he's everything. You have to, you have to read four gospels to understand the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is everything. But specifically in Luke, he says, you don't have to look and be the perfect man because there is already a perfect man. He's found in Jesus Christ. That's why we read the book of Luke. So the book of Luke emphasizes a few things. Um, um, Oh, do we have time? Yes, we do. We have two more minutes for this. He emphasizes a lot of how Jesus feels. So if you read the book of Luke, just read. Like, I didn't know this until I studied the book of Luke this year. That it's true. When you read a lot of the parables and the miracles and the teachings, it always says Jesus feels empathy. Jesus feels compassion. Jesus has mercy. Jesus was moved in love. Jesus wept. Jesus was angry. All these emotions are stirred up in the book of Luke more so than in the book of Matthew or Mark. Um, that's a little bit uh, different in the book of Luke. Now, in the book of Luke, um, what, why I say Luke is very detailed is because the birth of Jesus is the longest in the book of Luke. All right? It's not really found in Matthew, not really found in Mark, but it's found in the book of Luke. So if you really want to study the birth of Jesus, read the book of Luke. I really don't have time to go into it today, but there are only specific miracles and specific parables that are very unique to the book of Luke. That's the reason why I put a question mark. Because I know the answer to how many miracles and parables that are unique to the book of Luke that you can only find in the book of Luke. But I tell you what, church, in your cell groups and in your ministry and in your Bible reading quiet time, why don't you go and count how many miracles you can only find in the book of Luke? And then you come and tell me, and then I may give you a prize. How about that? I, I caveat this with the word may, all right? So I don't promise anything, just in case all of you come to me with the right answer, then I'm stuck with, I don't know what to do. I may pray for you. That may be your prize. Um, if all of you come, but if one person, then okay, maybe I can afford something, right? There's also specific parables. I'll give, give you a simple answer. The parable of the Good Samaritan is only found in the book of Luke. 
the parable of the prodigal son is only found in the book of Luke. There is a lot more that is only found in the book of Luke. You go find out. The story of Emmaus, so after Jesus was resurrected, the story of Emmaus was only found in the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke has all the songs of praise, especially in the beginning, the songs of Zechariah, the benediction of Mary, the songs of Simeon. So many songs in the book of Luke. Book of Luke focuses on, now, if you're, if you're a non-male in this place, you will love the book of Luke because the book of Luke places special emphasis on women. Is that okay? So Mark, Mark and Matthew had different ideas and why they want to write about Jesus, but Luke focuses, because he's a Gentile, so he focuses on the Gentile, he focuses on women, he focuses on children, he focuses on the poor, he focuses on the outcast. So if you identify as a woman, you would love the book of Luke. If you identify as a poor person or an outcast or somebody who's maybe nobody likes you, you would love the book of Luke. Read the book of Luke because it speaks to you. 27.5% of the New Testament was written by Luke because Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Acts, or sorry, Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And together combined, he makes up 27.5% of the New Testament. He is the highest writer of the New Testament. Only, uh, and, and second place goes to, anybody? Paul, that, hallelujah, Cyrus. Okay, we'll, we'll go for lunch, all right? I'll buy you a drink. He knows the answer. The second goes to Paul, 23%, all right? Goes to Paul, because we always think Gospel of Paul, he's written so many books, but actually, each book has a few words, all right? But Luke wrote a book, and he's, he's so detailed, he's got so many words, all right? And then in third place comes, anybody know the answer? John, you guys, this is the best service. You guys, I feel, I don't need to preach. Let you preach to me, right? You know the answers. Um, um, but here's very interesting, and I want to I wanna pit stop here for a little while, and then I actually want to close this service with a bit of a worship, because I thought, you know, I want to do all the call, what I want to do at the end of the service, but I thought the only best way to respond to the book of Luke is, a book, is worship, because in the book of Luke, has all the praise and worship in the book of Luke. But the genealogy of Jesus is very interesting in the book of Luke. It differs from the book of Mark a little bit. Uh, sorry, book of Matthew. So we find two gene- genealogies. I'll put up the slide, and I want to explain this in two minutes. And I wish I had an hour to explain this, but I, I really don't. Um, so in two minutes, let me explain to you the difference between the genealogies. And then you study it, and you want to know the difference? Let's have coffee, and then we can talk over it. In the book of Matthew, you read his genealogy of Jesus. It starts with Jesus, and then it goes Joseph, and then it says Solomon. Notice that they're in italics. And then it links, links Jesus to King David because he needs to prove to the Jews that Jesus comes from a kingly, priestly lineage that is King David. And then it goes, by the way, he's a pure Jew because his great-grandfather is Abraham. That's the Matthean genealogy. So a lot of Jews who read that and go, yes, Jesus is legit. He's the real deal. He's facts, all right? He's, he's good. He's checklist. He's Bible, all right? But then in the book of Luke, there is a deviation. In the book of Luke, Jesus' heritage is not Joseph. Just notice that. It's Heli. Now, who is Heli, all right? <clears throat> like, does he lie a lot? He's a he, all right? <laughs> is he lies, right? It's, but it's not she lies, it's he lies. Okay, and then it links, <laughs> it links to Nathan, all right? It goes up to, so lame, I know. Thank you for laughing, I appreciate you. Thank you for laughing at me, I appreciate you. Um, it goes up to Nathan. Now, why not Solomon? Why Nathan? And then it goes King David, Abraham, and then Adam. It ends a little different. I want to explain this a little bit. You see, in, in Matthew, Matthew links the genealogy of Jesus to its paternal line. 
But we all know Joseph is not the real father of Jesus. Am I not right? He's not the real father. So if you look at only the Matthew genealogy, you would say, ha, there's something wrong with this line. Because Joseph is not the real father of Jesus, it was only a, a virgin birth. You would also know this another theological error, the, the, the curse of King Jeconiah in the Old Testament. That's why we've got problems with the Matthew genealogy. And if you're looking at me like, what is this curse? Man, I have no time to tell you about this curse. But you can come to my Bible overview class, and I may mention it in the class, all right? But it's a long, if I, if I go into this curse, I will never stop. So what Luke does is, I tell you what, Jesus is still belonging to the priestly kingly line because he lie is supposedly the maternal line of Jesus. So Heli is supposedly a, a, a replacement of Mary because he can't put Mary there, so he put Heli. Now, why Mary, not Heli? Come to my Bible overview class. I have no time today, all right? Why Nathan, not Solomon? is because Nathan is not under the curse of King Jeconiah. Solomon was. Interesting? Can't explain? Come to my Bible overview class. That's why, that's why he put the mother mother's side of the genealogy. It links it to King David. So wherever you look, you look at the mother's side, you look at the father's side, all roads lead to King David, whichever side. But Luke goes one more way. Because, because in Matthew, Jesus is the king of the Jews. In Luke, he is the son of man. Luke then ties Abraham all the way back to Adam. Because if it's only Abraham, then Jesus may only come to save the Jews. But Luke says no. Jesus came to save everybody, Jews and Gentiles. That's why the lineage then ties back to Adam. So if you and I are asking, is, does Jesus save me? The answer is yes. Are you a son of Adam? Yes, you are. Because every, every road leads to Adam. So technically speaking, we're all related in this place, all right? By, uh, by the 1,000th degree, all right? So not, not five or six degree, but, but a thousand degree. But now I want to go into Luke overview. So I hope that's a little interesting. I hope that you can go back and read. But here is where the crux of the book of Luke, the Luke overview. I divided it into four parts. I took so long dividing this into four parts because there's so many I can divide. But four parts is the main crux that I want to bring today. Number one, the son of man. Number two, who is Jesus? Number three, Will you follow? And number four, why we follow. And if you read the book of Luke, when you reach it in the Bible reading, or when you reach it in yourselves, if you're, if you're doing the book of Luke, when you read these portions by asking these questions, you will, I, I'm inclined to believe that you will love the book of Luke a lot more. You must ask these three big questions in any section. In that section, who is Jesus stands out a bit more. But you can also ask, will you follow? And why we follow Jesus? Is that okay? So four big sections, and I want to go into it a little bit more. But I want to caveat this a little bit. You know, in this, in this church, SIBKL, we really believe that the Bible is the Word of God. He is the final authority in the Word of God. And here we really believe that we're not going to mince our words. We're not going to only sell you the good part of the Bible, but not the challenging part of the Bible. Because here we believe that we give you the Bible lock, stock, barrel. We give you what Jesus said, and you decide whether you want to follow Jesus. Not follow me, not follow SIBKL, but follow Jesus here in this church. So today, as we go through the book of Luke, I will, I will bring up certain scriptures that may challenge you a little bit. But if you feel challenged today, it's a good thing. It means that the Holy Spirit is working in you. 
because I felt challenged a lot when I read the book of Luke. And I go, wow, I've never seen this. God, you're, you're speaking to me. You're challenging me. Is that okay, church? Is that okay? So I'm going to speak it just as it is, all right? I'm going to be a little bit intense, but that's just me, all right? I'm going to speak just as it is. I learned from Jesus. That's why I'm intense. And probably from Luke as well, all right? The first part, the Son of Man. I'm going to skip this part very quickly. We all know this part. This is the birth of Jesus, part one. Next slide. The Son of Man. The birth of Jesus. It's, it's beautiful. Jesus was born, all right? Then it talks about John the Baptist. It talks about Elizabeth. It talks about Mary. Go read it for yourself. But I love how this portion ends. I have to read it for you. This is, this is, this is if you are a father in this place, you would love this portion. If you go to the next slide. Luke chapter 2, the ending of chapter 2 says... <clears throat> After three days, now Jesus was at the temple. So Jesus was lost at the temple. Now bear in mind, he's a little kid. He's probably eight years old. All right, he's a small little kid. Um, he was lost at the temple. So the father and mother, Mary and Joseph, was looking for him. Now, if you are a parent in this place, you lose your child for eight minutes, you panic. He, they lost the child for three days. All right, panic has gone to another level of panic. All right, they're going to call the cops. The FBI is knocking on the door, right? Like, what's going on here? After three days, they found him. And he... Jesus is very blessed that it's not Asian parents. If it's a- <laughs> Asian parents, they'll come up with the door with a rotan already. They will whoop the kid in front of everybody in the temple. They say, I don't care. Why do you get lost from me, right? I told you to follow me. You didn't. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was only a boy. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Great. Definitely not Chinese, 100% Jews. They were astonished. Wow, so good. It's like, you're at the temple, so good. We, parents, we take a page out of this, right? His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Look, how articulate is this? If he's Italian, Manglish, Malaysians wouldn't say, son, where have you been? Okay, why? <laughs> Told you to come home. To come. Okay, why were you searching for me? Now, this is, this is Jesus' reply. He's a little boy. Just bear in mind, he's a little boy. He's not, he's not grown up like us. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Whoa, if he's Chinese, I, you talk back to me. No. <laughs> look, look at this, Jesus. Well, the bravery on Jesus, man. Why were you searching for me? He asked. This is the best part. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Oh, the blame is on you, parents, not on me, no. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Your fault, you didn't know. All right. Um, the Gab- angel Gabriel already told you, you still don't know. But this is the best part. <laughs> I didn't put it on scripture, but I want to read it to you. Then, then he went down to Nazareth. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with the parents. This is the best part. And was obedient to them. So if my son grows up to be eight years old, ever quotes this to me and talks to me like this, I will quote back to him verse 51, all right? And Jesus followed them back to Nazareth and was obedient to them, <laughs> all right? That's, that's the point of this story. That's the point of chapter one. <laughs> Part one, <laughs> and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So it's the father, very interesting. And then Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. What is the key to having wisdom and stature and favor with God and men? I believe it's found in verse 51. Jesus was obedient. The obedience to God and the obedience to father and mother, your obedience unlocks your wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So even though Jesus was right to be in the temple because that's where he belongs, but he still obeyed his parents. So that's a lesson that we can learn from, from part one. That's, that was eye-opening for me. So 
So I'm just telling you things that God has spoken to me personally. And I thought, wow, obedience to the Word of God, obedience to Jesus unlocks His wisdom and favor and stature among men. So next time when we pray, say, God, give me wisdom. God, give me stature. God, give me favor. Then God is also asking you, son, daughter, will you obey? Because if you obey, it automatically unlocks this whole realm of the kingdom of heaven for you. Amen, church? Part two, the more, <clears throat> the more gripping one, part two. Who is Jesus? Now, this is the question I really want to ask all of us. And I really want us to ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Because from, verse, from chapter three all the way to chapter nine, when you read it on the question, who is Jesus, you begin to realize a lot of things that Jesus said that is very rarely preached on the pulpit, but we want to preach it this year because we're uncompromising about the Word of God. And there are some things that have shocked me because I never realized it myself until I read it so many times. The first thing about who Jesus is, is he opens the Isaiah scroll in, 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 in uh, 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 chapter 4, I didn't put it up, but it's in chapter 4. He opens the Isaiah scroll, and then he says, the Spirit, okay, not yet, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the first statement Jesus said in order to start off his ministry, I am anointed by the Lord. I am the anointed one. And then he says, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. I really like the word freedom because the word freedom here in the Greek says release, redemption. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to release you because I am the year of Jubilee. You see, we, we love the year of Jubilees, right? We study the Bible. We know year of Jubilees where it's a freedom for prisoners. It's a freedom for debts. And we study it, we go. But Jesus says, no, I am the year of Jubilee. When I walk, I am the Jubilee. So when I am amongst you, I will give you freedom. I will give you release. You know, it's so exciting because this year, this year is the Jubilee year for our Barrio Revival and our Bakalalang Revival. It is our Jubilee year, right? So when we studied, when I studied the book of Luke, when I was in Sarawak, I read this again and I go, wow, God, you're reminding us in SIBKL that our heritage as a church came from the revival back in Sarawak. And we're going to pray that, God, you told us you are Jubilee. You are our Jubilee. Father God, send us your hunger, send us your revival spirit because we want to hunger for you. We want to, well, we want to experience you once again. And exciting things are happening. And I don't have time to say it today, but so many exciting things are happening in our nation. But we first need to believe that we can experience revival once again. We cannot be revival fatigued. We cannot say and brush revival off to say, ah, revival again. Because revival is already breaking out in America. In Ashbury, revival is already breaking out. Because So if we have revival fatigue, okay, this is where I've got to depart from the book of Luke a little bit. Let me talk about the revival a little bit. Because it's so, dude, it's so exciting to me to see campus students just loving God, to see youths at the, at the, at the university, campus students at the, at the university, young adults just coming and loving God. And you know what really struck me about the revival? There is no big stage. There is no LED screens or projector screens. There is no big drums or big nice sets. There's no big, there's no big fancy lights. There's nothing. It's literally just us and a worshiping of God. Now, that's, that's the spirit of revival, and it's breaking out. 
Because God says it's not just for the younger generations, it's for all generations. It's for the adults as well. And I, I, I logged in almost every day, I log in online, and I see adults are there. I see older people are there. I see babies are there. I see people of all ages flying in are there. And do you know that in America, it's not just in Asbury anymore? Do you know it's spreading out across the country? And I would just want us to imagine, because I want us all to hunger for it. Can you imagine? It doesn't matter where revival breaks out in Malaysia. It doesn't matter. KL, Kuching, KK, Penang, Johor, it doesn't matter to us because we believe that wherever it starts, it will spread. We want it to spread and we want it to reach here. We want it to reach KL because we're so hungry to see God. What are you doing? A fresh touch, a fresh anointing from God. And I want you to imagine if God just touched you afresh today and He gives you a fresh revelation of who He is and you open up the Scripture, and you can understand Scripture all by yourself and the Holy Spirit in a new dimension, new revelation. That's exciting for you. That's exciting for me. So I'm craving for revival. I'm hungry for revival. And then I read this and go, and Jesus said, I am the Jubilee, and I am here to release the bondage, the oppressed. I am to release the prisoners. But is my church ready for me? Big question. Not for me to answer. Who is Jesus? Chapter 4. Jesus is a healer. Jesus delivers from evil spirits. i got to really move on. My time is moving. But then it's very interesting. Chapter 6, to me, chapter 6 is the first climax of the book of Luke. So if you really want to understand the controversy of the book of Luke, you study chapter 6. Chapter 6 talks about blessings and woes. It is the Sermon of the Plain. All right. So in Matthew, you find the Sermon of the Mount, in, in Luke, you find the Sermon of the Plain. It says the same things. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those, blessed, blessed, blessed are those, which is good, Sermon of the Plain. But then Luke adds something on that Jesus said. And it's controversial because when you really read it, you cannot help but be pricked. Woe to you who are rich. You're already received and you're comforted. Woe to you who are well-fed. Because for you, uh, for you, will, will you go hungry? Woe to you who laugh now because you don't weep and cry and repent. Woe to you when men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. See, Luke adds another dimension to Jesus, and Jesus is asking you, who am I to you? Am I only the guy, the blessor? Am I only the person who you want to bring blessings? Or am I also the guy who speaks the truth that we are, it's so difficult for us to hear. And the truth goes on to say, how many of us can live up to this? God says, I love my enemies. You love your enemies as well. How many of us, is it tough to love your enemies? Isn't it tough? Somebody who hates your guts or publicly hates you, and God says, you love them. Bless those who curse you. My gosh, that is difficult. Pray for those who mistreat you. I think for, for us Christians, pray. We stop there. Already tough enough. All right? Pray. Stop. That's tough. Pray for those who mistreat you, which means if somebody just mistreats you, slanders you, punches you in the face, you pray for them. That's difficult. Turn to him the other cheek. Give to anyone who asks you, do unto others who, as you would have them do to you. Lend to them without expecting anything back. That's Christians. That's Jesus. Be merciful. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Give as it has been given unto you. And then God says, you hypocrites, if you judge other people, take the plank out of your own eye first before you judge someone else. That's the Word of God. You've got to ask yourself, who is this Jesus to whom you follow? To whom you follow? Or you only follow and you only want to hear a sermon about God is blessing. God is blessing. 
But Jesus has another side to say, who am I to you, really, that you would follow after me? There's so much more. Can I just run it really quick, quickly through? When you talk about the faith of the centurion, Jesus said, truly I tell you, I've never found such great faith in all of Israel. Will that not offend you? If Jesus one day said that, and I was imagining to me, if there's a, there's a centurion and the centurion was healed, and then Jesus walked in and looked at SIBKL and looked at this centurion, a, a non-Christian, by the way, and then he says, to, he says to us all, this non-Christian has more faith than all of you here. Oh man, I will be the first person that says, Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, right? Hello, right? Would not, will we not all be offended? Who is this Jesus to you? Why would he say such a thing? You've got, to, you've got to either follow our pulpit series or study it yourself because I'm not here to answer all the questions today. And then he says, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. I love it. I've never seen this before. Now, this is one of the Luke verse I've never seen before. He who has forgiven little loves little. So you've got to ask yourself, are you a loving person? Do people see you as a cheerful, loving person? Because if you're not, then could it be that you have forgiven little? That's why you love little. Now, are you willing to follow a Jesus who says that to your face? Are you willing? And then it climax. I mean, cut short. It climax at Luke chapter 6. And Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 actually talks about the wise and foolish builders. And Jesus starts this way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Who is Jesus to you? Why do you call me Jesus? Why do you call me God? When you do not do what I say. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And then he goes on to say, the foolish builder builds his house on sand and it falls. And the wise builder builds his house on a rock and it will not fall. But I never saw this. It starts with this. You call me Lord, but you do not do what I say. So I ask you one more time, who is Jesus to you? You need to know the God to whom you serve. Because Jesus is not only just God, Lord, full stop. Jesus is saying here, he is also your master. When I say go, you go. When I say do, you do. Because if Jesus is not your master, then you only have a portion of Jesus that you know. You are not following Jesus. You are following a part of Jesus that you only want to follow. You need to follow everything that Jesus is. So when you read the book of Luke, you need to ask yourself, who is this Jesus to whom I pledge my allegiance to? And until I know who my God is, it's hard to follow. And that's why the next portion after chapter 9, I title it, Will You Follow? And that's the question God and Jesus ask people in the whole next section. Will you follow? See, it starts, um, it starts here in uh, uh, Luke chapter 9. It literally starts the next portion with this, this, this part. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It starts this section by saying, you come follow me 
and you be my disciples. But if you want to follow me, number one, you not only follow the blessor, you follow the master. You follow not only the king, but you follow the Lord. There are two different things. You follow everything that I command. And then it says, but let the dead bury the dead. There's a sermon going to be on this later on in this year. But you proclaim the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, Jesus replied. If you put your hand to the plow and then you change your mind and you turn back and ask, am I fit? Do I really want to follow Jesus? You are not fit to be in the service of the kingdom of God. Have anybody preached this before? It's tough to swallow this part of Luke, isn't it? Because we always say, follow Jesus, love Jesus all you want. But we forget to say, and that's why we love the song, no turning back, no turning back. The cross before me not be, and the world behind me. I will never stop following you, Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus and we say, do, do, do I really want to follow Jesus? I don't know what if I want to follow Jesus. Jesus literally just says, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. I only want one-minded people. I want followers that are true. I want followers that are loyal. I want followers that believe in the cause of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, there's so much more. He goes on to say in Luke chapter 12, provide purses for yourselves that you will not wear out a treasure in heaven that <clears throat> will never fail, where no thief come near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. And then it says, if you want to follow Jesus and be my disciples, God says, you look at your heart look at your treasure, then you will know if you really follow Jesus or not. Because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. If your treasure is in position, you will chase position. If your treasure is in possession, you will chase possession. If your treasure is in power, you will chase power. And Jesus says, you will know when you look at the actions of your heart and then you choose to follow Him. And this whole section, if you read it, God says, I will send you forth now to preach the good news. Will you follow? Will you go? Be the good Samaritan. Go and treat others like how they deserve a human being in, made in the image of God. I don't care if they're boy or girl, rich or poor, what gender, what race, it doesn't matter to me. As long as they're in need, you be the good Samaritan and treat them like how I would treat you. Born in the image of God. Will you follow? Will you go? And then it goes on to says, there are going to be many shakings in this world. There are disasters that are going to happen. Nations will rise against nation. Brothers will rise against brothers. Sisters will rise against sisters. There will be false prophets in the house of God. And then he ends with this, Luke chapter 14. Will you follow? What is the cost of discipleship? And Luke presents to you, before you follow Jesus, you count the cost. What would it cost you? Because it's not easy to follow Jesus that you love. It would cost you that you may not be able to go to the club that you love on a Friday night because we've got campus ministry. What would it cost you? On a Wednesday night, you finish work at 7 because you know they're cell at 8. That's what it would cost you. What would it cost you when people say, why can't you give, give a little on the table? You say, no, I can't. Because my integrity means more to me than this business deal. And it cost you that business deal. But is it worth it to follow Jesus? And Jesus says, you count the cost. You count the cost. And he says, in the next verse, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. <laughs> he didn't say give up some things. He didn't say give up one thing. 
He says, those of you who do not give up everything. He's not asking you to give up your position, your power, and your possession. What he's saying here is that give up your wants and your desires and only desire for Him, and He will give you everything else. That's what it means. Give up everything, your wants, your desires, your life. Then you can be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Luke is intense. Luke does not mince his words. He says, if you are not bearing fruit, God will cut you out. Read it. Chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. And Luke says, if you are not salty anymore, you're thrown out. So the question is, will you follow this Jesus? But it must end with why we follow in the last portion. Jesus will never leave nor forsake you. Why do we choose to follow? Why do I choose to follow Jesus? It's quite important. I read one scripture just two hours ago that says, if you acknowledge me, Jesus, before men, I will acknowledge you before my God in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you to God in heaven. And then he says, you are my treasured possession. I will always carry you. I love that portion in the book of Luke. I think it's chapter 11 or 12. I never read it before until now. That's just the truth. And I go, thank you, Jesus. You chose me first. You chose me to carry your kingdom. And I acknowledge you before men. So God, Jesus, acknowledge me before the Father because I want to be acknowledged. I want to be your treasured possession. Why do we follow? If you read the last portion, it is Jesus' final week into Jerusalem. We all know the story. He's going to that cross. That's why we follow. Because Jesus says, you cannot, you cannot fulfill everything that I asked you to fulfill. We're mere humans. We cannot. No matter how much we try, we can't. If we try too much, too hard, we become a hermit. If we put so much rules and regulations so that we hit the mark, we become a Pharisee and legalistic. And if we take grace to another portion, then Jesus says, well, you're abusing my grace because then you, do you think you can sin evermore just because grace abounds? Romans chapter 6. So what do we do? I say, Jesus, what do we do? Why do we follow? You cannot fulfill. And Luke says, Jesus will have to die on that cross for you. For where you fail, I will carry you in my arms. Where you fail, I will never leave you. Where you fail, I will still believe in you and push you on. Why do we follow? Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, or Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. S-I-B-K-L, S-I-B-K-L. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, which means that you will be blown and thrown away. Jesus said, but I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. As I care, Jesus is saying to you, He has prayed for you. He sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. He prays for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to your faith, now go and strengthen your brothers. That's why we do church. That's why we do cells. That's why we do ministries. That's why we follow Jesus, because He will never give up on you even though we cannot live up to the cost of being a disciple. Luke chapter 24, when He was at the table with them, He took bread. Now, this is the story of Emmaus. It's the most beautiful story only found in Luke. 
The story of Emmaus is that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, he appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus. And the two men did not recognize who Jesus was. So Jesus was walking with them, talking with them, but they don't recognize who is this Jesus? I don't know who this Jesus is. I don't understand who this Jesus is. And then at the end of the journey, Jesus did this. When he was at the table with them, so he entered the house and broke bread. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? This is my prayer for us, that our hearts will burn when the Holy Spirit and Jesus talks to you and opens scriptures to you. You will burn with hunger for him. You will burn with yearning and joy for him. That's why we follow, because Jesus will never give up on you and he will do everything in his power to bring you home, including dying on that cross. And the book of Luke ends this way. Luke 24. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. He told them, this is what is written. Why do we follow me? The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Read book Acts, chapter 2, four, next volume. But verse 45 is the most beautiful verse that I yearn for, and I pray the Holy Spirit will open up scriptures for me. Then He opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Why do we follow even though we don't understand everything? Why do we follow when Jesus has said, you may not be healed? Why do we follow? You may not be rich. Why do we follow? You may not get all the deals you have. Why do we follow? You may not be able to give. You have children naturally. But why do we follow? You may have all the children in the world and you're tearing your hair out. Why do we follow? Why do we follow? Even though life is throwing us stones after stones. And then it's answers is in 45. Then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. We follow because he is a cause higher than ourselves. We follow because we don't understand everything until he speaks it to us and convicts us. We follow because He is not only my God that saves me, He is my God that would make me holy and separate me from the world so that I can be in the arms of the Father. I follow Him because I have long learned that the Scriptures of God anchors my life and saves my life. That is why I follow Jesus. You know, two years ago, and I'll end with this, and I really want to worship at the end today, you know, two years ago, um, I love prayer altars, by the way, um, just FYI. Um, but two years ago, I love prayer altars this much. I go, okay, it's good, it's good, I love it, it's good. I hear the Word of God, it's good. And then in 2020, God spoke to me and says, I'm now, I want you to read certain portions, which I don't have time to explain. And I read it and it opened up my mind to what it means to eat at the, at the table of Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself, what does it mean to eat at the table that Jesus had laid out for you? 
What is it? What is it? Me. Right? Psalms 23. God, you have prepared the table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? And God says, you opened my mind. And from then on, I go, wow, Jesus. Jesus. I fell into a deeper hunger for Him. And long story short, here this year, I find myself on the precipice of wanting prayer offers every day. I kid you not. I'm not even trying to be holy. I'm not trying to be pastor. I'm just trying to be a Christian that when I ask Jesus, open up my minds to your scripture, He gives me revelation to revelation to revelation and those revelations leads to a spiritual hunger that is unquenchable because there's so much wisdom and knowledge and, and perfection that Jesus wants to pour out His wisdom on us. And I go, wow, that's why I follow. Because there is a cause higher than myself. If something bad happens to me, I go, Jesus, you are still Lord over all. You are still sovereign and you're still my God. If something doesn't go my way, I say, God, you are still Lord over all. I don't understand it. I'm struggling. I'm not happy. I'm angry maybe, but you're still Lord over all. And you will still make way in the wilderness for me. You will still make glad those who are mourning. You will still make streams in the wasteland. You will still make a way where there is no way for me. Or you will turn every good thing to those who love Him. And everything that the enemy throws at you and in my life, when we love Jesus, He will turn everything for good. That's why I follow. And when God says, when you follow me, you have to decide. Will you love your enemies? Will you bless those who curse you? Will you pray for those who mistreat you? Will you give abundantly? Will you lend and not expect anything back? Will you turn the other cheek? Will you be generous to the poor, the widows, the, the misfortunates, the orphans, the foreigners in the land? Will you? Will you not judge? Will you not condemn? Will you love unconditionally? Will you follow me? Because in, in, in this one portion in Scripture, it talks about the church of God. Will you? I call my, my, my church the house of prayer. Will you come and pray? Will you come and altars to pray? I called my church the house of worship. Will you come and worship? So if you choose to follow, you follow everything that God has commanded. All the way. But the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? you. If it cost me my Friday night, I will give it. If it cost me my Tuesday night, I will give it. If it cost me my Saturday evening, I will give it. If it cost me my Sunday morning, I will give it. I will give everything to the one who has given everything for me. So the question is, will you give everything to the one who has given everything to you? Will you? Can I invite us all to stand? I love this song. I want to do an altar call, but I figured it's much better to worship and let God speak to you. So if you can stay, you don't have to go. Can we just spend 10 minutes in worship? It's a brilliant song. Come and worship a holy God. And before we worship, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you that let nothing in on earth ever stop you from loving Jesus 
and following Him all the rest of your life. And one day, you will hear those words, Welcome, good and faithful servant. Well done. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. As we open scriptures, Father God, we fall in love with you to another level. Father God, I want to pray for the church that it's not easy to follow you, Jesus, but it is worth it. It is not easy for Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, but it is worth it for a greater cause. Father Lord Jesus, I pray that there is a hunger and a yearning amongst all of us here, that we understand who we are in Jesus Christ. You called us worthy because you made us worthy, not because we are worthy. Father Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that we all understand that we will come and worship a holy God that has called us. I pray that we will follow Him all the days of our life and never, ever, ever turn back and question our discipleship. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, this life is not easy, for the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. There will be shakings in this world. Nations would rise against nation, brother against brother, sister against sister. Father God, come what may, hell or high water, we will follow you. Father Lord Jesus, whatever comes my way, Father God, we will stand on the solid foundation, the firm foundation, the solid rock that is in Christ Jesus, and we will choose to follow you. Carry us along the way, Jesus. Give us strength when we are weak, Father God. When we are weak, you are strong, Father God, for your grace is sufficient for me, Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father God, we all say, in my weakness, you are strong. In my weakness, you are strong. Strengthen me for this journey, Father God. Never let me go. Never let me go. Never let me give up. Never let me turn back, Father Lord Jesus. And Father God, let me finish this race. Finish this race and fight the good fight. So I thank you, Father God, that you are a good God. Separate us today, Father Lord Jesus, with all the love that you have in heaven, with all the mercy and the joy and the grace that you have, Father God, and grant us all shalom of God. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. All glory, honor, and praise be to your name. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church. God bless you. Follow Jesus this whole week and for the rest of the year. We love you. For those visitors, come and see us at the Connect Counter and the hospitality downstairs. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. God bless you. See you.